Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is November 18th. I'm Dave Gasper, joined by co-host Matt Carroll. We are the editors of ReviewingTheBrew.com. On this week's episode of the Cold Brew Podcast, we're going to discuss the upcoming Rule 5 deadline for players to be added to the 40-man roster. We're going to start our position-by-position looks at free agency for the Brewers, and we're going to address some of the latest rumors surrounding the Brewers this offseason. Joining us on this week's episode is our guest, uh, sports writer from the Wisconsin State Journal, Andrew Wagner. Andrew, hey, thanks a lot for joining us, man. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So you made uh, some waves this past week when the uh, National League Rookie of the Year balloting came out, and you had a vote. And Devin Williams, who ended up uh, winning the award, was not atop your ballot. Instead, it was Alec Bohm of the Phillies. And you caught some hate on Twitter from some people. We had, we had a nice chat, but uh, some people on Twitter. We might get thrown Twitter... off of Twitter. We might get thrown <laughs> off of Twitter for being polite to each other. Yeah, yeah. The, the way things have been going with Twitter over the past, like, two, three weeks, and really even the past, like, several years. But still, you know, we had a nice chat about it. Some other people were... Not so nice uh, with, with how they were on uh, you not having Williams atop your ballot. So um, for the people that uh, couldn't hear it calmly explained before, could could you just calmly explain what made you go with Alec Bohm instead of Devin Williams as your rookie of the year? Yeah, I mean, it was it's hard to kind of put it into words, but first of all, it wasn't a knock against Devin Williams. Like it had nothing to do with anything that in my perception that Devin Williams didn't do, it had more to do with Alec Bohm. Um, I, I still can't figure out how to put this sentence together. Right. Which is odd being, you know, a writer and all, but <laughs> it wasn't me choosing against Williams because he only played X amount of games, X amount of innings, but Bohm did play every day. So I kind of looked at it that way. I didn't, I didn't like, it wasn't a trying to avoid being a homer thing. It wasn't punishing a reliever thing because, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that Devin Williams deserved to be rookie of the year. There's no no question about it. Um, I just looked at the fact that it was so close in terms of what these guys did because I also had Cronenworth third. Um, all three of these guys were incredible contributors to their team this year, and, and none of those teams get to where they were without those guys contributing, especially the Brewers. I mean, you could make a case that Devin Williams deserves some MVP consideration because of how many times he had to hold a one-run lead knowing how poor the Brewers' offense was. But all that aside, what finally broke the tie for me was the fact that Bohm was out there every day. He had to you know, come to the plate four times a day. He was out there on defense and played very well. Uh, and going back to the offensive side, we know how hard it was for hitters this year to not have the tools usually at their disposal. They couldn't go back in the film room between at-bats. They had to make adjustments on the fly. They had limited time in the cage, limited time with their coaches. So that was a tough thing to deal with on its own. Adding the fact that Bohm, I think, had played, you know, uh, 100-some minor league games since being a first-round pick in 2018, I believe. So here's Mm -hmm. a kid that just gets thrown right into the fire on a team with pretty high expectations and expected to produce every day. Um, it was just, it was the you know small hair that put him ahead uh, on my ballot. Again, no knock on Devin Williams. Devin had an absolutely marvelous, fantastic, historic season. 
he, he is very deserving for the award. And just my ballot, I, I just gave that one hair advantage to Bohm. And I mean, there's no respect to Devin. It's just, I think it's pretty hard to be a guy going out there every single day, uh, having to do what, what Alec Bohm did without the tools usually at a hitter's uh, disposal. Right. And, and that's something that I think a lot of voters face that 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 same kind of thing because i mean you look at the number the numbers are undeniable for devin williams like he was out and out the best uh at his job but his job simply had him doing uh less and and we had will salmon on last week front of the podcast and he you know we talked to him about he wrote about it that you know it essentially comes down to theory you know give should you give a rookie of the year award to a reliever who only played in about a third of the games versus a guy who is out there every single day in impacting every single one of those games. And, you know, that's what it came down to. And, you know, event, you know, eventually just kind of turned out to be that more of the voters believed that, you know, the being a reliever didn't have as much of an impact or, or wasn't as big of an issue um, as playing every day. As, as the voters that did, as, as shown by the 14 first place votes for uh, Williams and the uh, eight or so ver- first place votes for Bohm and, and Cronenworth. And, you know, that, that's kind of an interesting like shift, I, I feel like, in the voting, because if this was like 10 or 20 years ago, a reliever like Devin Williams, even though he's that good, may not end up getting anywhere near that many amount of votes. Absolutely right. And it's interesting that Will Will's a smart guy. I love talking to him because he, he looks yeah. at the game so differently than a lot of people. But that word theory is one that I came back to because I looked at trying to it, it's hard to put position players and relievers um, on equal footing when you're doing evaluation. Right. So I, I used the term that they use there. Uh, it was doing the job. So I looked at who did their job the best. Devin Williams job wasn't to go out there and pitch every single day. So, again, the fact that he wasn't out there every day wasn't a factor. It didn't dock him in my mind. His job wasn't to do that. Alex's job was to do that. So who did their job uh, at the highest level? And, again, that's where I gave that slight nod because his job was to be out there every day. And, again, no knock on Devin to do what he did. And I'm going to emphasize this point again because I think it gets overlooked a lot you know, by people that don't watch the Brewers every day. I know and you know and Matt knows just how miserable that offense was at times this year, putting <laughs> runs on the board. You know, so how many times did, did, did Devin come into the game having to protect a, a, and cling to the narrowest of leads or a tie game? Uh, and, and the result is in the record. I think they were what, 18 and four in the games that he pitched, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's again, I, I'm kind of like contradicting my own voting. He was an incredibly valuable part of the team. One could argue maybe the MVP of the team, but at the end of the day, just, you know, you got to tip your cap to the guy that went out there and did it every day on the fly. Um, Devin Williams, you know, he was benefited by the 60 game season. Uh, how much closer do you think this vote is overall? If this is a 162 game season, I mean, Alec Bohm played 44 games. You translate over to 162. That's uh it's like 115 or so games he gets to play. If Devin Williams gets to pitch in like 80, he's lucky in a 162-game yeah. season. So, I mean, do you, do you think Devin Williams actually ends up – and let's assume, obviously, you know, it would be crazy for him to have been that dominant over 
70, 80 games. But if he was, um, how do you think that changes the vote? Yeah, I don't know. I, and I, I, I've thought about it at times and then I had to force myself to stop thinking about it because it kind of made my eyes spin in my head because you're trying to picture this guy going out here and flummoxing dudes um, with that change up over the course of like 70, 80 games. And you're like, is there any way that he could really go through the entire season giving up one, two, maybe three runs or, you know, six hits? And it's like, no, no. But at the same time, we didn't think he could do what he did. Um, I, I do think. There was some benefits, uh, the same thing that kind of, you know, pushed Alec to the top on my ballot might have helped Devin in the fact that hitters weren't able to make those adjustments uh, in between at-bats. And again, I know you're probably only going to see a reliever one time, but other guys, you know, weren't able to go in and see what they did and then kind of relay it back. So I don't know. It's crazy to think. What would have happened in a full season? I try not to extrapolate because one, I'm really bad at math. And two, you know, there's just so many different variables that when you play that what if game and it's just like, you know, who's to say if they had a full season, what if he hurts his, you know, his, he hurt that shoulder um, going into the playoffs. So does that affect him going forward uh, in an extended season? So there's so many what ifs that it's dangerous. It's fun to play that game, but it's kind of dangerous. And I, I try to avoid that especially when it comes down to like evaluating guys for awards, because that can creep into your head and that can kind of cloud your judgment. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when it's November, it's like, we got all to extrapolate and yep. just make fun or just make oh, up, yeah. you know, whatever, what if scenarios. And, you know, it, it's always, it's always a lot of fun to, to come up with that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, with Williams, I mean, you look at the changeup and, you know, when we had pitching ninja on and, and we're talking to him a couple of weeks ago, you know, even if you have like all that footage, like in between, I don't know how anyone could yeah. hit that. I mean, that, that pitch is, is ridiculous and, and you can have all the video in the world that you want, but like when it comes in there, there's almost nothing you can do. It, it, it's, it's a beautiful pitch. And I've, I've watched, first of all, pitching ninja is like the greatest gift to the internet period. <laughs> like it's sound, everything that stinks about Twitter and social media and the internet is redeemed whenever Rob goes out there and puts like a compilation together. Absolutely. I have watched so many uh, of his pitches and and I've tried to watch as much and playing with different slow-mo things. And it's just, it's such a beautiful pitch because his delivery is unique and it looks like it's, it's kind of herky at times, but he makes it look so effortless and he repeats it just spot on every single time. It's so graceful and smooth and just, it's one of those guys where you kind of wish he was a starter so you could just watch him do this over and over again, inning after inning. But the way he makes that pitch work and, and, you know, it kind of reminds me it's apples and oranges. I know, but back when, when Ron Dane was playing for the Badgers and and we Mm -hmm. used to joke that Barry Alvarez would walk across the field to shake the opposing coach's hand before the game and say, by the way, we're going to hand the ball to Dane 49 out of the next 50 times, try and stop us. And it's the same thing when, when Devin's going up there. You know what? I am going to throw you a dozen change-ups, try and hit one. And they, they can't do it. They just can't yeah. do it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could totally imagine Barry Alvarez doing that, by the way. And, I mean, We're going to run Dane. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you could have done the same thing for pretty much any of the Badgers over the last decades. Like, we're going to run Melvin Gordon. We're, we're going to run yep. Monte Ball. Like... You, you could go through that whole group that they've had. We're going to run Jonathan Taylor. Everyone knew it was coming. 
You got the best yep. offensive line in the league. You get you got the best running back in the league. What are they going to do? Nothing. And so, that's, that's exactly all it was for Devin this year. Like that pitch. Yeah. It, you you could tell it was a good pitch too because every single guy on the Brewers team, you know, that wasn't on the field is on the dugout rail room. They're peering over the bullpen because they want to watch this kid. They're he he's sitting there and he's giving lessons to guys like Brett Anderson, who's been in the league since I don't know Moses. And, and, and he's showing these guys how to like. I hope Brett's not listening because he he's one of the, I, he's one of my favorite social media follows. But now I realize he's just gonna slug me and rightfully so. But you know, guys on the Brewers in the clubhouse, the coaches, the players, you know, opposing players, they hate facing it, but they love watching him throw it because it's such a good pitch. I mean, it really is. It's just. I can't say it enough. It, it's he's one of those I would want I would pay money to watch him play because he, he's he's that good at what he does right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, all the other pitchers were like, "Hey, show me how to throw this changeup." Like every single guy out in that bullpen, every single guy in the rotation was trying to figure out how to throw it, trying to see if they could replicate it, and none of them can. And it, it's really just kind of something where it, it's so unique to him and just kind of his ability with the with the pronation and, and everything like it's it, it's insane. And, you know, when you have hitters like Joey Votto and Chris Bryant and, you know, guys who are really great hitters with good with good batting eyes and can see all these pitches. And they can't see his like that's just kind of it, it just kind of shows it, it's on the next level. Yeah, it, it's it's again, it, it goes back to what we were talking about before, like watching him do this over the course of the season. You're kind of curious now to see what can he really do next year? And if, if they move Hater, which I know is opening another can of words, another topic to, you know, does he move into that ninth inning role? And, and will the pitch play as well in that situation? It has been so far. I mean, there's. So many different options with it. So many layers of the onion. It's like there's a lot of reasons I'm excited to to get to February and have camp open, but that's definitely one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you've mentioned it, let's open that can of worms. Josh Hader. And um, earlier this week, uh, Robert Murray of Fansider reported that the Brewers intend to listen uh, on Josh Hader and and trade offers that could be coming for him this year. Uh, When we had Will Salmon on last week, he didn't characterize a Josh Hader trade as very likely. Um, he, he gave it a 65-35% chance that uh, Josh Hader would stay and not get traded. Uh, what would be your thoughts on, on the chance that Josh Hader ends up getting dealt this offseason? If, if this year would have been a normal year, I would have said, you know, pretty good. Um, right now, I just don't know because I don't know what – this off season is going to look like. We don't know what next season is going to look like. If we're looking at a normal upcoming season, um, I think, yes, the chances are still pretty good because he's going to get paid a lot of money, an awful lot of money next year. Um, and while he's still very good at what he does, he's not as dominant as he was two years ago, which is just kind of how it works. His trade value is still high. Um, Stearns is big on being able to help at the big league level and keep the minor league level stocked. And I think Josh Hader provides your best opportunity to do that. The money you would save on him can be invested elsewhere in the system. 
So uh, if all things go normal next year, I think, yes, it's a good chance they move them. But again, that could change because they could have a shortened season. They could change things around. We, we just just don't know. And it's part of this whole weirdness that is 2020. Uh, it's kind of hard for, for us to guesstimate. I'm sure it's even harder for David Stearns to kind of plan and, and make moves. But I, I guess I'll put it this way. I wouldn't be shocked if Josh Hader is moved. And I wouldn't be shocked if Josh Hader is in camp in February. So would you... Would you expect more an off-season deal or maybe a trade deadline deal when it comes to him? Do you, do you would you uh, go either way with that? See again, that kind of depends on what's going on. I, I, I think if he gets the highest return um, at the at, at the winter meetings, that kind of time, um, you might get um, someone to overpay at the trade deadline. But I think you might get more bang for your buck if you make a deal in the offseason because then the team has him, you know, for the whole year. Uh, plus, yeah, he was a super two, so you're going to have three years of arbitration left on him. Um, so I, I think the best result, the best return probably comes now. Um, you might still get a good deal in in, in July, if, assuming that's when the trade deadline is. But I think the best move right now, concerning all the uncertainty, was, would be for the Brewers to make that move in the offseason. Yeah, and, and especially, I mean, I mean, when you look at the trade deadline, if you're trading off your closer in July, odds are you're out of the race. So it, yeah. if you're if you're planning a contending and being in the race, trading your closer in July, I mean, that that's really kind of going to kind of be a tough sell, unless all of what you're getting back is going to help the big league club, you know, in the off season, you can trade them and, and get mostly prospects back. And it's not going to be as much of a thing as, as if you trade them in July and only get mostly prospects back. So, and, and prospects are going to be a key thing. And I think you guys know how David Stearns works. I think on the out, uh, on the outside, yeah. people be like, Oh, he's, you know, selling away, but no, that's, that's how you stay competitive year after year is by getting, and Josh Hader will get you, at least one guy who's a pretty good prospect ready for AAA or the majors. And then one guy, maybe A or AA, who's a year or two away. So I think he's going to give you the kind of haul you want to make an immediate impact and then have something in the pipeline right around the corner. Yeah, and um, one of the teams that have often been talked about is the Dodgers. Um, They've liked Josh Hader for a while. Kenley Jansen, you know, really kind of started to struggle this year. He's entering the final year of his contract. And the Dodgers have Gavin Lux over there, Wisconsin kid. And he doesn't really have a job, um, especially if Corey Seager ends up being signed long term out there. So he, you know, he's kind of blocked at the big league level. And I, I think if Josh Hader were to be traded, the Dodgers would be um, a strong candidate. And if the Dodgers were to make a deal, I think Gavin Lux would, would have to be a part of it. And uh, this kind of opens up then another can of worms uh, and <laughs> brings up the uh, popular rumor. I'm just going to guess you, you have an idea of what to do with Keston if that deal goes down. Well, I mean, Keston could do, I mean, you could do a couple of things because Lux could also play shortstop. Yeah, um, and, and then you and then you could kind of move around Arcia, or you could put Urias at third, or or something like that. But yeah, Hira, I mean, 
He's a guy who I think is going to end up being a, a DH at some point just because his his defense at, over there at second base, like you could even see the look on Jed Jerko's face when he was catching some of these baseballs from 40 feet away that were just not even close that he had to just like stretch and, and jump and everything for. And he's just like he he does not understand. It's like, how could you make that bad of a throw from 40 feet away? Yeah, I did notice a couple of those this year. I will say to <laughs> Keston's credit, like, and again, this is one of those you know inside the beltway kind of things. And don't take this as like towing a company line, please. But like, you know, when you're in spring training, it, it's pretty boring when you're there all day, every day. So we do a lot of wandering around out on the fields, you know, watching a lot of the extra work. And I will say Keston has put a ton of work in from the start of spring training and as much as they could during summer camp and the season. And again, remember, you know, there's very limited contact between, you know, the coaches, limited time at the ballpark. So, and Craig has kind of hinted this too. They they had to take it with a grain of salt. They still think he's going to be a second baseman long-term. And I guess that's kind of what they have to say. Um, I don't really disagree with your assessment. Like he does kind of project that way, but he has shown that he's willing to put the work in. So, you right. know, I, I, I would like to see I would like to see if it could work out because he does seem to have the ability. But I, I think you're right. You know, there, it kind of looks like he's going to be one of those guys that ends up uh, if he's not a corner out or a corner infielder, you know, probably ending up as a DH somewhere. And if that's the case, that means the Brewers would have made a pretty good trade because I'm assuming if they do have to move him, they're going to get a pretty penny for him. Yeah. You have to wonder where that. uh breakdowns kind of coming from here because actually remember at the beginning of last year um he looked semi-impressive like it actually took until I thought it was like the red series where some of his defensive miscues kind of started showing up um like fans on Twitter and everything like that were actually saying oh my gosh Kesson here is a good defender now like is that what's actually happening it was kind of like well let's just wait for it and then he ended up looking like Hira so um I wonder where, you know, he's he's clearly got that ability in there. I just wonder, you know, if he if he loses focus a little bit during the season or um, if he just needs to keep working on those drills or what. But uh, um, he he shows promise at times. That's the that's the thing. With yeah. Him. And I think that's why they're willing to stick with it, because he has shown a lot of promise there. And again, it, it's hard to take what you saw this year in any facet of the game, be it offense, be it defense, be it pitch it, whatever. Um, you have to take the success and the failures with the same grains of salt because it was just such a weird year. Um, and, and you have to remember that you know, Kira has not played a lot of defense, uh, especially at the big league level. Um, you know, he's you know, he missed what the entire senior season. At, I'm trying to remember now. Was it a year and a half, two and a half years that he had in the minor leagues? My math is a little fuzzy at the moment. Yeah, he he was so, drafted in in 2017. Yeah, maybe yeah. like a maybe like a couple of weeks down there in the minors and then 2018 he had all down there and then he came up in May and in June of, of 2019. Yeah. So he hasn't had a lot of opportunity there in the grand scheme of things, especially at the big league level. And one thing that, that Craig council talks about a lot, and, and we heard this, you know, when Travis Shaw was moving to second base and Mike Moustakas was moving to second base, and even when Jacob Nottingham was getting his first team, Waiting for guys to make mistakes sometimes. Same with Ryan Braun at first base. They have to make mistakes sometimes to learn how to do something the right way. It kind of stinks when you have to do it at the major league level, but that's 
you know, the price you pay to get that bat in the lineup. Um, but there are a lot of things the playing defense and major league baseball that you don't learn until you screw it up. And, and, you know, it sounds goofy at first when you say it out loud, but then, you know, you think about it, you put it into practice and I, you know, look at like being out in the, in the workshop, making a woodworking project. You know, if I screw something up, but then I go back and I make the project again, the next time I remember, Oh wait, you know, I can't cut it this way. I have to do this. And I think you're seeing the same thing. I mean, Every time he botches a throw, it's something that reminds him, this is something I got to work on. You know, if you are in the, the wrong footwork position to make a throw, it's something that you know to do differently the next time. So I, I think he's young enough. And, and like Matt said, he's shown the promise. You know, he's shown flashes of the ability. What we saw from Keston defensively at the beginning of the year was pretty impressive, all things considered. But you're right. He regressed a bit. And, you know, they're hoping that with a, with a full camp and, and a full season and, and regular work, maybe it'll take that next step in the development. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as long as he keeps putting in that work, you know, really he should be getting better. You know, like you keep putting in all that kind of work, like eventually something's got to, you know, something's going to click. So, you know, here then, you know, could end up being at second base for uh, a while and that could, you know, maybe free up, you know, if, if Braun comes back, you know, he could be there at DH. Um, Dan Vogelbach could be over there. Um, and, th- and then what do they do at first base? And, I mean, corner out or corner infield has been one of the Brewers' biggest issues. Um, it, it's one of their biggest needs heading into this offseason. And they're apparently, um, again, according to Robert Murray of Fansided, uh, they're looking to possibly trade from their surplus of pitching uh, to get which is some, weird to say out loud isn't it <laughs> i know right like when was the last time we ever talked about the brewers having a surplus of pitching it, it's funny because every winter it, it, it's the same thing oh they didn't go out and get a pitcher they didn't go out and get any pitching and they need pitching and what happens every year their pitching is pretty darn good and it's the offense of all things that tends to struggle yeah and, and now, I mean, you have Corbin Burns that stepped up this year. Yeah, Brandon Woodruff there. Those two guys are legit number ones atop the rotation. None of these number three, number four guys masquerading as number ones like Yulis Chassin and Kyle Loesch. Um, you got two true guys up there. Uh, you have a pretty strong rotation, pretty strong bullpen once again. And you need the, the corner infielders. And they're looking at um, possibly trading from from that pitching group uh, to get some offense. And, you know, it's something where I think it almost like circles back to, I mean, Josh Hader is probably the most likely of that group to go. But, I mean, there's, you know, if they're looking at more than just that, um, I mean, you could look at a guy like uh, perhaps Adrian Hauser or Eric Lauer or, you know, maybe Justin Topa or, Eric Yardley, someone from that pitching group that could bring back something possibly of value to help out at the corner infield. Yeah, exactly. They, they have they have a lot of options, and there's there is never a team that's not looking for pitching. So you know, having that surplus that's going to help them pretty good. And even you know, guys like Drew Rasmussen, who you know still going to need some work, but proven that they're they're bona fide prospects. Uh, who can, can, can contribute at the big league level, those guys could draw some interest too. So, you know, the Brewers have some options there. I, I, I'm curious to see what they're going to get out of Dan Vogelbach. Like, if he can play first base, um, I think what he showed in the brief time of Milwaukee, 
he was kind of impressive. Uh, obviously, no one's going to expect him to put that up over the full season, but he, he was an all-star last year. You know, you don't you don't get that good uh, for a half a season and be a fluke. So, you know, I, I like the possibility of him being being in their first base. I wouldn't mind seeing them bring Jed Jerko back to play third if it's possible. I think I think Luis Urias has been a nice fit over there. He played the position pretty well. He's shown that he has the bat that was advertised. So, yeah, the corner the corner is going to be interesting. First base is probably the biggest need, but I don't think they can really do anything about that until they get a Ryan Braun decision. I don't think they get a Ryan Braun decision until they know if there's going to be a DH or not. Yeah, it would hurt, wouldn't it, if uh, Vogelbach, though we don't know how sustainable he is, to have another first baseman leave and then have a Jesus Aguilar Marlins type year or something away from us, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be that would be tough. That would be tough. Yeah, and then um, you know, really with with just kind of uh, where this roster is like, I mean, catcher is, is another spot where. Um, they could possibly look for some help. I mean, Omar Narvaez, he's facing a, a non-tender decision um, in, in about two weeks. Um, and, and he's a guy that, I mean, he had a very down year. The Brewers got almost no offensive production from their catching group. And, you know, there's a couple of, of decent options out there in free agency uh, at the catcher spot. JT Romuto is obviously the best of the bunch, but he's going to be outside the Brewers' price range. Uh, but that leaves guys like James McCann, uh, Wilson Ramos, Jason Castro um, as all kind of viable free agent options that the Brewers could could possibly afford if they look to move on from uh, a guy like Omar Narvaez, which is another spot of need. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're ready to give up on Narvaez yet. Um, he, what, he was bad. I mean, there's no ifs, ands about yeah. it last year. He, he was he was just bad on offense, but they were so impressed with how much he improved behind the plate. Like it, they were blown away by that because they knew he was going to be a work in progress. They knew it was going to be difficult, but I don't even think they were expecting him to look as well behind the plate and, and kind of, you know, improve so well, so quickly as he did last year. Um, they could cut, cut ties with him. And it wouldn't be that big of a of a sting because I think they traded what uh was it Adam Hill and then uh yep like Adam Hill and the com- yeah and the competitive balance pick a competitive balance pick so you know you're not you're not kind of shooting yourself in the foot because you didn't give up a top prospect you didn't do anything like that um but at the same time he he's he's a pretty good offensive player and he's shown that before um and kind of you know repeating what I've said before they're they're, they're they're being very cautious about how they're evaluating performances last season. Uh, the analogy I've used jokingly on Twitter all the time, and again, this probably predates you guys, but I, I, I made fun of it saying it's season nine of Dallas, which, you know, one of the stars was, uh, he left the show at the beginning of the season. They wrote him off, they killed him off. And then he signed a new contract at the end of the season. And then they put him in the shower and, oh, this entire season was fake. It was just a dream. Never mind. Same thing this year. It's kind of like this entire year was just playing with house money. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. I don't think they would give up on Nervaez because of what he did or didn't do in 60 games. Yeah, they did cut ties on Brock Holt quickly, and they did cut ties on Justin Smoke quickly. But I think Nervaez is young enough, and because he's at that age, 
that David Stearns and the staff love. That's like their, 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 you know, hanging slider is 27 to 29. Those are the guys that they want because that's when guys hit their peak. I don't think they're ready to give up on Omar yet because of what he did on defense last year and because they think he'll be able to bounce back. You know, a 60-game season when you're playing a limited number of pitchers and opponents, you know, I, I don't think they're ready to give up on him yet. Matt, yeah, do you know anything about Dallas? Do I, I, I know of it. Um, it might predate me just a little bit as well. I know I've got some years on you, David. But yeah, uh, the, the only thing I know about Dallas is, is from the episode of The Office where, you know, yes. they're playing the board game and they're like, and that's Dallas. <laughs> that's all that I know about. It. Back in the day when cliffhangers were a thing. Uh, um, yeah. It's funny you mentioned age because um, w- one of the reasons that I, when we were talking tender, non-tender last week, one of the reasons um, I had said that I think they tender Narvaez um, was partially because uh, they don't have any other option. <laughs> um, there's no one in the system that's ready yet at catcher. Um, and if you look at like MLB.com's list of catchers, every single one of them is in th- at least in their 30s, uh, with the exception of Eric Kratz, who's in his 40s. So um, you, <laughs> a young, go out a there, 40s. <laughs> you go out there looking for a catcher and you're going to have a guy generally who's got some age on him um i know of the names that david you mentioned wilson ramos i feel like uh for the last couple years you know fans have kind of wondered about would they go for a guy like him or not but like if if that's the standard i think it makes like you're saying andrew a lot more sense to stick with the 26 year old guy who does still have a history of some productive offensive seasons and yeah, go with the logic that, you know, 60 games just may not have, you know, quite been able to uh, tell the whole story. Yep. And plus, you know, another thing to, to consider, too, is let's say that next year is back to normal. And let's say that Navarre, Narvaez, you know, has a good but not great start. But down at AAA, let's say Nottingham maybe has finally put it all together. You could probably move Narvaez for the exact reasons that, that Matt pointed out. You look around the league. You know, the other options for, for catchers is not great. A lot of older guys, um, no team control is going to be a big thing. So you, you also make sense as a trade candidate in the future because mm-hmm. Jacob Nottingham is going to be their catcher. Somebody they think he's just not quite there this moment, but it's getting closer. So, you know, they've got a veteran guy in Pena that's doing very well in the number two spot, has a good rapport with the pitchers. I think they give Narvaez a chance, and one of two things happen. He catches fire, goes back to the norm, and great, you know, the situation is closed. Or he performs well enough, but not great, and Nottingham gives him a better opportunity. They have a way to move Narvaez and kind of keep restocking the system. But there is one issue when when it comes to Nottingham and him taking over. He is out of minor league options at the moment. So if they're they're keeping Narvaez... Yeah, if they're yeah. keeping Narvaez and Pena, they're either going to have to keep three catchers or they're going to have to um, outright uh, Nottingham or they're, they're going to have to to trade him or, or figure out some other way to get him on the roster. So um, when it comes to him, I mean, Nottingham showed some power uh, when, when he got the playing time there towards the end of yeah. the year, but the batting average was still down in like the 170s. Uh, he was right. striking out a bunch and he's never been able to put the defensive years and the offensive years together yet 
Yeah. When they got him. Yeah. 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 When they got him, he was an. Yeah, he was an offensive guy. It's like, oh, yeah, he, he's an offense first kind of catcher. And now it's like um, he's a defense first catcher and his offense is nowhere to be found. Yeah, it, it's baseball's weird, man. It's, I mean, that's the best way to put it. It's <laughs> yeah. not a, you know, scientific analysis, but having watched this game professionally now for 20 years, man, this is a screwed up game because it just never makes sense. I, you're, I totally forgot that he was out of options. I thought he had one more and I was just looking. Just in case I was wrong while you were saying, I'm like, God damn it. So, yeah, I, <laughs> just, you know, go ahead and edit out everything that I said about that because, yeah, I kind of <laughs> shot myself in the foot there. Ah. Yeah. You know, they, they did, though, get him a lot of work at first in AAA back when there actually was a minor league season. Um, I don't know how inspiring a Vogelbach Nottingham first base platoon is, um, but it is a possible reason to let him kind of cling to a roster spot at least for a little bit, I would think. True, and especially if they have, because I believe they're going to have go back to what, 26 next year, and I, I wonder yeah. if they're going to add maybe another two um, just because of, you know, all the craziness. Um, so, yeah, you, you do have the extra roster spot to play with where you could use him. Uh, never hurts to have another guy that can catch around. So, yeah, it's one of those things that's just – Adds to the list of things that David Stearns has to figure out between now and, and February 17th. Yeah, and that's something where, I mean, that catching situation, and um, it, it's going to be one of the, the big things to look at this offseason because they also have uh, a couple of guys that are Rule 5 eligible that um, they, they need to look at bringing up uh, Mario Feliciano and Peyton Henry. And, you know, if, if they bring them both up, then you have Narvaez and Pena, Nottingham, and David Freitas, and now those two on the 40-man roster. So you got six guys on the 40-man roster then, if you bring both of those uh, guys, Feliciano and Henry, up. Six catchers on the 40-man roster, which seems like a lot, and you know it, it really kind of puts them in, in a tough spot with some of their other positions because they have a lot of depth in the outfield, a lot of depth you know, in the, in the infield um, at those uh, 40-man spots and a lot of pitchers. So it's really kind of going to be, uh, I, th- I think, a pivot point this this off season with the catching spot with what they do with Nottingham and what they do with Narvaez because those two are really kind of at uh, decision points where the only guy you really know is going to be there next year is Manny Pena because those other guys have have really kind of some big decisions that are yet to be made that could go either way. Yeah, the the rule five in. I got all my information on the Rule 5 draft from reviewing the brew because I yeah. completely forgotten who was, you know, eligible this year because, again, everything was so weird in terms of no minor leagues and the ultimate site. I'm like, who's got what? Um, that might be the most interesting and under-the-radar situation of the Brewers, Brewers offseason uh, because some of these guys that you weren't expecting to see, you ended up seeing. Uh, they may have impressed more than – they might have during a regular minor league season. And now that makes a rule five decision even more difficult. So that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to this year, because again, it's what comes into play with that extra roster spot too. You can, you can afford to take a flyer on a guy uh, in a rule five draft when you have an extra roster spot, whether or not they do it, it, it remains to be seen, but the Brewers have guys that other teams are going to want, and it's going to be hard to keep. And, 
you know, when you put someone on the 40 man roster, someone has to come off. So that that's going to be one of those under the radar things that, that could end up being one of the more interesting developments of this offseason. Yeah. And most of the discussion that I've seen around it so far has just talked about the guys on the top 30 prospects list. Um, there's guys even past that who they've got some interesting decisions to make. And I've seen a couple different spots for it, but I want to give props to Jim Goulart out there at BrewerFan.net. He probably has the best organized version of it that I've seen. Um, but a name that definitely stood out was Chad Spanberger, who is the guy who came over in the Chase Anderson trade uh, last fall. He's a first baseman. Um, he was semi-close, close-ish, I guess, to the MLB. Um, and as we all know, we have a lack of first base depth, both at the big leagues as well as in the minor league organization. So I'd be interested to see if a player like that gets added. The Brewers roster, as I just looked it up, uh, the 40 man is currently sitting at 36. Um, If you added a player like a uh, Feliciano or a Henry, you know, there's the possibility that you take off like a David Freitas, that you're not overloaded in catchers. And then that, is another extra roster spot. They've got some room to work with to add some of these players. So I know when we talked about it a long time ago, we were kind of came to a consensus that maybe they add one or two players and, you know, your two most common names were Feliciano and Zach Brown, but could you see a good chunk of other players being added on top of that? You you kind of threw me off there for a second when you mentioned Chad Spamberger because I remember he was like the hottest hitter to start spring training. Yeah, and it was, it feels like it was twenty yeah. years ago, and it was <laughs> right. March. I don't know twenty twenty like, did kind of put twenty years on most of us the way this yeah. year has gone. I mean, he he really impressed that first you know hand five six games of spring training. I think him and Arcia were both raking the ball. Yeah, uh, and he actually you know you mentioned because he had made himself part of the conversation for that extra roster spot or to see time at first base throughout the season. I remember us specifically having a conversation with Craig early on about how Spanberger had opened eyes, not just with his performance in Cactus League play, but the way that he was going through workouts and the way that he was handling himself in drills and, and being around big league camp. So, you know, thank you because I completely forgot about him in, in spite of everything that's happened this year. So, Wow, I gotta go through and, and redo my entire big whiteboard of, of guys for the offseason because just one of those dudes that fell through the cracks with, with so much stuff going on. And I just completely forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, um, could you see more than just you know one or two uh, Rule Five players getting added here. Last year they added, I think it was three. One of them actually ended up being Fire Eisen, who they had just acquired and then yep. added to the forty man. Um, and then it was Corey Ray and um, remind me who I'm missing here. Shupak. Shupak, yes. Well, Shupak, yeah. Shupak, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I, uh, I could see them adding. You know, they're at thirty six. I could see them adding a pair, maybe three. Uh, depending on what they do with some of their non-tender decisions, but because they've got a lot of guys that that are impressive. I do wonder though, if that means that, because when is the deadline to, to, to put guys on the 40 man? Is it Uh, December? So the deadline to put them on the 40 man is on the 20th. Um, so that's coming up at the end of the week. Oh, it's on Friday. And then the non-tender deadline is December 2nd. Okay. So 
it, it's kind of interesting that they have him at different days, you know, like, because yeah. you could put a guy on now or, you know, you run out of 40 man roster spots now, but then you non tender a guy a week later. And then all of a sudden you have another 40 man roster spot open. So yeah, interesting kind of how they do that. But purpose. yeah, that's baseball. That's baseball yeah. season. That's baseball. <laughs> that's season. Rob Manford for you. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, if this is any other, again, any other winter, you you could go in and, and make kind of assumptions based on what you've seen. But there's just there's so much that's unknown right now about not knowing how the rosters will be constructed next year and not knowing what the rules are going to be, not knowing the DH, not knowing how many roster spots you'll have. It's just not knowing what the budget is. And I, I think we've kind of you know managed to avoid this topic the entire time. That's the other big thing is how much money are they going to have? Uh, in terms of overall payroll, how much of that's going to be eaten up by 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 Yelich's deal right now? That's going to dictate, I think, more than anything, what happens this winter. Yeah, and I mean, we we've talked about the the budget on previous episodes of the Colbert podcast, and um, when we talked about it with uh, Will Salmon and a couple of the guys, just looking at it, um, I mean, it, it's probably going to be coming down a little bit. Um, it's not going to be at 97 million or whatever was projected to be this year. Um, I'm thinking it's probably going to be, I don't think it could be too much lower than 85 million. Um, but somewhere probably in the low mid upper eighties, uh, I would guess for the payroll. Um, they, they have over $40 million tied up in just Yelich, Kane and Evasel Garcia. And that that's just their outfield. And they got a ton of money tied up there. So they're going to have to kind of find ways to fill out the rest of that team. So um, looking at where that payroll situation is, I mean, half the money probably tied up in just those three guys. It, it makes trading a guy or non-tendering a guy like Corey Knebel, uh something where it's kind of more of a necessity, freeing up a couple extra million dollars to – maybe pay two players instead of just one. Yep. And there's another name that we, we didn't even mention at all is this Canable. You know, there could be some, some really tough decisions that have to be made in the next couple of weeks. And this could be a team that looks entirely different next season than we've seen the past couple of years. Some, some stalwarts could be gone and it's just the matter of it. You know, it, it's part of a team getting better and having a lot of good players and having to pay those good players and having a lot of good players coming up. So it's a good problem to have. I mean, it stinks because you're going to have to lose some good guys and, you know, you'll be making some calculated risks on guys that could end up paying very big roles for other teams and make you kind of kick yourself. But I, I, I guess I, I look at it this way. I don't envy David Stearns right now. I'd like to have his paycheck, but <laughs> I, I'm glad that I don't have to make those decisions. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, like a guy like Knable, it's like obviously like you want to keep him because when he's at his best, uh, he's, you know, one of, one of the best in the league. And um, he's going to be an extra year removed from Tommy John surgery. He's likely to be far better next year than, than he was this year when he had kind of the weird ramp up period and uh, coming back initially from Tommy John. But five million dollar over five million dollars is going to be a lot. Uh, to pay for a guy coming off the year that he had. And, you know, I think it's something where they're likely to non-tender, but they're going to want to try to bring him back at something that's simply a lower price. But once you do that, everyone else can swoop in and you could have someone like 
uh, the Dodgers or the Yankees or anyone with more money than what the Brewers have, that can be like, hey, we'll give you that $5 million that they weren't able to pay you, and, and we'll do the same kind of thing. So it, it's going to be tough for them from that perspective. I guess uh, we'll have to be staying tuned to the Cold Brew podcast all winter long. Won't Absolutely. <laughs> I like Absolutely. that shameless plug. Shameless, shameless plug. plug. Follow us on, on Twitter at Colbrew underscore pod, by the way. Um, yeah, like it's something that uh, we're, we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on, you know, all throughout the offseason and everything. Um, I want to kind of circle back to the Rule 5 because there, there are a couple of other players that um, we haven't talked about that are eligible. Um, Dylan File and Alec Bettinger um, are, are two guys that um, were probably going to make it up to AAA at some point this year. Uh, they've been starting pitchers down their minors. They've had success. They're, they're kind of lower-rated guys that were drafted uh, later, and the prospect lists and everything are just kind of starting to to take notice of them. They're, they're kind of sneaky prospects, as uh, Will Salmon put it. So those are guys that I, I think could end up getting drafted and possibly pitch in the big leagues in, in 2021 on someone's roster. I don't know if they'd put them on there for a full year. I, I don't know if they're ready for that. But, I mean, when we're looking at – because the Brewers have four open spots currently for their 40-man. Mario Feliciano is likely to take one of them. Um, but then, you know, in, in terms of filling the other spots, you had Zach Brown, Dylan File, Alec Bettinger as the three kind of big pitchers. Uh, you got Lucas Ursig, who's eligible – Ursig hasn't been able to hit since he reached double A, so I'm not really worried about protecting him. Pablo Abreu, he's an outfielder that's down in A ball. I don't think he's going to end up getting protected. And then we got the guys like Spanberger and Matt's favorite, Luke Barker, uh, is eligible. (laughs) There's all these names. It's just names that we talked about like every day in February and March, and then. All hell breaks loose, and you're hearing this, like, oh, my gosh, I completely forgot. Because, again, it's like it, it feels like 20 years since we had these conversations. Yeah, it, it, it's insane. And now they got to make the decision on them in, in a couple of days. Without and, having seen these guys play a single inning, that's the weird, the weirdest thing of it all. Is, you know, and that, yeah. that's what makes this so difficult is, you know, you Alex Bettinger, we talked about him a lot in spring. He, you know, they're looking forward to him taking the next step. Now he shelled for an entire year. You know, he doesn't get the pitch in any games, misses out in a year of development. Um, so, yeah, he, he's definitely someone that, you know, if this would have been a normal year, probably finds himself an absolute no-brainer on the list. Zach Brown, another one, you know, but you don't get to see really anything of him. Uh, Spanberger, obviously, he's he's probably going to get added on there because, you know, they traded for him. They want to keep him around. But, you know, how do you evaluate guys – that you can't evaluate when it comes to something as valuable as a roster spot. That is probably the most difficult question that's going to be asked this winter. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think some of those guys, I, I think file and Bettinger were at the alternate site. Um, was I know Brown the was. Alternate site? Yeah. I know Brown, Brown was, was for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought those guys were added. If they weren't, I mean, I'm pretty sure they were at Instructs, too, uh, which just wrapped up a little bit yeah, ago. Yeah, he was. He was added there. Yep. Yeah. But still, I mean, that's... So it's it's not the August same as a full season. Right. And and that's the thing. You know, they, they tried their hardest to kind of, you know, create a competitive environment. But when you're going out there and you're facing the same guys every day, it's just not the same. And it's... You can work on your stuff, 
but working on pitching are, are kind of two different concepts, if that makes sense. And, and I right. think that's that's what the toughest thing for these guys was, is you're not getting – you can't see how hitters are reacting the same way uh, to your stuff when you're pitching you know, in these controlled situations. Um, and, yeah, you know, it, there is a benefit to seeing the same guys every day because they might, you know, catch on to it or they might, you know, fall off of it. But it's just it, it's tough because you don't have a good book on these guys and, and you're making decisions now based on anticipation instead of what you actually saw with your eyes. Yeah, I think uh, Dylan File is kind of a good example of a lot of that, because uh, when we had minor league games, when we, you know, were able to do a little bit more talk about prospects. He was one of the guys that, you know, we here at the site really loved for a long time. Um, he's a guy who has, uh, by MLB pipeline, 60 grade control. Um, and the evidence of that was one of the stats that I've just loved to throw out about that guy that in 2019, he had a ratio of 136 strikeouts to count it, 22 whole walks. And that's amazing. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, you would hope would actually translate well at the major league level level is if you can at least control the strike zone, you know, you've got a big head start there. And yet we're now at this point where we're talking about rule five guys. And because it's been so long since you've like really gotten to like watch and look at the box scores and everything like that, it's like, a, well, you know, he's still a couple levels down in the uh, minor league. So he might be safe, you know, whereas half a year ago, we might've been thinking, well, obviously you add this guy to the, 40 man, like any team would be crazy not to snatch him up. But how much of, are the other teams aware now after a full year removed from the minor leagues um, of the quality of some of these players on the other teams? Yeah, but that's a great, you know, a great thing to take into account too. You know, as hard as it's going to be for the Brewers to, to decide who to add and who to, to leave exposed, are teams willing to, to gamble on keeping a guy on their roster the entire season who, has not played an actual game in over a year. So that, that could end up helping the Brewers uh, in the long term in keeping some of these guys in their organization. But again, it's just one of those, no one knows what's going to happen uh, in the next 30 hours, let alone the next 30 weeks. And buckle up and, and pour a cold one because I, I am fully expecting the rapture to come like the day of the Rule 5 draft or the day the winter meetings start, like the alien spaceship's just going to drop down and, you know, that's when the next level of this whole year turns on. But yeah. I don't know. I, I'm trying to keep a uh, positive and just assume that we're going to have a normal winter. We're going to have a normal winter meetings. Uh, we won't have brewers on deck, but we'll have a normal rest of the off season and normal spring training. And everyone will be drunk in the parking lot on opening day. Like usual. Here's hope. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I can go back up. to my normal snark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you said, buckle up, grab a cold brew. And listen to the Cold Brew Podcast. Absolutely. I set you so, right up for that. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, think that's a, I think that's a good spot to wrap up for, for this week. Um, be sure to follow and subscribe to the Cold Brew Podcast here on Anchor or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you're listening to the Cold Brew Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at coldbrew underscore pod, or you can follow us on our uh, main account at reviewingthebrew. And be sure to follow by, at by Andrew Wagner. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for for joining us on, on this week's episode of the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. So that's going to do it for this week. 
And we will be back next week with um, some news on the Rule 5 editions and uh, probably going to be one final game of Tender or Non-Tender. So we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Cold Brew Podcast.